I honestly didn't expect the call that where you said you were hurt. I'll be fine. Nothing's gonna happen. They shouldn't feel too sorry for you or think it's some huge deal that I came and rescued you because really you did me a favor. Google Earth is an amazing tool, but it does not do justice to the real thing. The real thing is so much more rugged and nasty. I think that's probably the most important piece of equipment that you had on this hunt. For these new hunters, they hear that and they're more focused on getting away from people than they are getting to where actual elk live. Onyx Maps, as awesome of a tool as it is, shows a trail does not mean there's really a trail. I think you learned a lot about yourself on this hunt and I think a lot of people, both experienced hunters and all of your followers that you've inspired are going to get an invaluable amount of information. Hi, this is Clayton Markser with the Adventure Cowboy, and you're listening to Living Country in the City. I'm actually riding out of the mountains with Sam right now. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 38 of Living Country in the City. Now, if y'all are listening to this episode the week it comes out, I am likely sitting on my couch like a potato, completely killing my Netflix queue because I should be just out of surgery for both knees. Now, for all y'all that didn't see my post, turns out that among some other issues, I have meniscus tears in both knees, and rather than really draw out the process... I'm just getting both knees worked on at once, so hopefully I can get into rehab right away and be back into fighting shape for some uh, late-season hunts. So I can definitely use y'all's prayers, good thoughts, well wishes, encouragement, you know, whatever y'all want to send my way. Now, if you haven't figured it out by now, I injured both of my knees on my Idaho elk hunt. Uh, The best I can tell is that the excessive weight coupled with several hours of twisting and dropping down hard and climbing over all that deadfall and all that deep snow and muck is really what caused those initial tears. And then, of course, the 15 or 20 miles over the next two days made the tears a lot worse and just inflamed both knees to the point where they couldn't bear much weight. So suffice to say, uh, my elk hunt was definitely adventure, um, if not the adventure that I was really hoping for. And so I just wanted to use this podcast to give you all a breakdown of my trip, uh, you know, talk a little bit about my prep and decisions I made from really before I even left all the way to getting picked up and packed out. And I really just wanted to do this in hopes that you all may learn from, you know, what I did and what happened uh, and hopefully be able to avoid some of the issues I ran into on my hunt. Uh, You know, hoping there's some tidbits throughout this episode that you all can apply to yourselves and your hunts, whether you've been doing this for decades or days. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, Log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. 
Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Now, I couldn't think of anyone better to do this episode with than the man himself who came out from Montana at no small effort to pick up this half-frozen gimpy hunter uh, several miles in the Idaho backcountry. I know Clayton Markser, uh, the adventure cowboy, he's an experienced outdoorsman who's been in the saddle since he was a toddler. And, you know, I can't say thank you enough to him for coming out and saving my butt, and it's great to have him on the show. Clayton, thank you so much for joining me today. Anytime. Well, like I told a couple people on your little message board, they shouldn't feel too sorry for you or for me or think it's some huge deal that I came and rescued you because really you did me a favor because you gave me the opportunity to go back into a country that I absolutely love, riding horses that I love, uh, and I took a day off work to do it, so (laughs) you did me a a solid there. Well, you know, that kind of takes us into... uh a little bit of what we want to talk about today. Um, but before we get into that, I want to—I definitely would like you to kind of introduce yourself, maybe talk a little bit about uh, kind of what you do in the Adventure Cowboy and, and what that is really quick. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, my background is uh, I was born and raised on a very large ranch in southwest Montana uh, when we all, my dad retired and I ended up leaving too. So, um, but when we did, the ranch was about 325,000 acres. Uh, when I was a, a little boy, we didn't have a babysitter. The closest one was the closest neighbor was like 10 miles away. So, since I was six weeks old, I've been in a saddle. And since I was two years old, I've been in a saddle by myself. So, my background is, is really ingrained with ranching and Western culture. And several years ago, I was guiding hunters and one of my hunters really kind of got under my skin a little bit about (laughs) the fact that I don't, I wasn't really sharing my story at all. And he said, you know, you're a social guy and you have an amazing background and an awesome story, but you don't ever tell it. That's shame on you. And after he said that, it, it really struck a chord with me and made me think about some things. So I didn't really know where to start. I, uh, I got a camera and I started taking some video and some pictures, and then I didn't know what to do with the video, so I found this thing called YouTube, and Adventure Cowboy was simply the name when I made my account that uh, after about 15 tries of putting my own name in there and them saying, declined, here's some other ideas, the Adventure Cowboy was one of their ideas, and I liked it. So <laughs> that's kind of how that whole thing started. Well, we can thank YouTube then for the uh, for the new moniker, I guess, huh? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, what does what all does the adventure cowboy encompass? What uh, what can we expect uh, if we go to your YouTube channel? Well, r- lately this summer, not as much as you should expect. Um, I haven't been getting as many videos on. I've got tons of footage. I've got hours upon hours upon hours of footage captured, but I haven't been getting enough editing time to finish them and get them posted. But there's over 100 videos on there right now, and it ranges from anything to do with backcountry camping, hunting, uh, lots of gun videos. I'm sponsored by Cimarron Firearms. I'm a sponsored shooter for them. 
and there's some family videos on there. There's some high country tips and tricks, and I shot quite a few of those in the country that you were in. This <laughs> uh, a pretty good variety of things. When I made it, the temptation was to, I guess I shouldn't say the temptation, the the fad at the time was to have a YouTube channel that was very themed. So if you had a gun YouTube channel, that's all you did is, is you just did gun videos. Um, I didn't really want to be pigeonholed into anything, and I'm a creative person. So all I really wanted to do was share my story, even if it was to nobody else other than my kids when they get older. You know, if I was to pass or something, I wanted them to have something to watch and remember me by. So really, my videos, while some of them are themed, the whole channel kind of mirrors a little bit of my life. The Adventure Cowboy really is just about me trying to share a story and share a love that I have for the American West and ranching and horses. Well, that's great. And that, uh, a lot of those topics are how we got connected. You know, you reached out at uh, some point on my Instagram. I think we were talking about this on our ride out. Um, I think you came across my profile somehow and you hopped on one of my live videos and we started talking about Montana, right? Yeah, I think what had happened was um, somehow on Cody Rich's podcast page, I had stumbled upon your name. And I, everybody that knows me very well knows that I have a soft spot for people that live in an urban environment, but they have a deep love of everything country, even if they can't live it themselves. They really have an appreciation for it. I have a soft spot for people like that because <laughs> – all I've ever known is Western country life. And if I have the opportunity to share it a little bit, I want to. So I looked up your profile out of curiosity and I followed you. And then one day you were doing one of those live stories up by the observatory while you were training for this hunt. And um, I can't remember, you said something about hunting in the West here. And you know, sometimes people are on there and I can't just help myself. I have to comment something. So I just <laughs> said, come hunt with me in Montana. And you were all about it. And uh, that was kind of how we first got our, had our first interaction. But then you posted that you were coming to Idaho, this kind of the eastern side of Idaho, which I know pretty well. And the area that you had initially picked, uh, I know a little bit, but your backup area, I know like the back of my hand. And after your draw was closed on your initial area and you ended up with the backup area, which I'm not going to name right now. Um, I just thought, you know, at this point in time, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be arrogant with this at all. I literally, my job was to explore all of that country and document it for quite a while. And right now there's probably not anybody alive that knows every single drainage in that area of those mountains as well as I do, just because that's all I did. I lived up there with my horses, exploring, taking pictures and uh, documentation. So I knew that no matter where you were in those mountains, I could get to you if you were in a hard, hard spot. And so that's when I messaged and said, Hey, if you're going in there, just so you know, I can help if you get in trouble. And, you know, I remember, you know, I've said this before, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, wow, that's, you know, super generous of him, but I'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to get myself into any stupid situations that are going to, you know, necessitate me being evac'd out. 
Well, right. sometimes life throws you some surprises, but the best laid plans always. Um, but you know, so that that kind of brings us to talking about the trip a little bit more. Um, you know, I've talked about it already. This was not the trip I expected it to be. This was not necessarily the trip I wanted it to be, but I have to look at it and I, you know, I have to say that it was an adventure. There, there was definitely an adventure and there was definitely a lot of lessons that could be learned and hopefully that will benefit me in the future and that will benefit experienced hunters, inexperienced hunters, anyone. There's a lot of lessons and reminders that I think that can be pulled out of this for absolutely everyone. So, I mean, you know, going into it, I, I had picked a few spots, you know, you had reached out and, uh, you kind of gave me some general areas to look into, you know, I, I, I did my research and, um, I picked a, several different spots and kind of this initial area I had picked, um, you had definitely warned me, uh, there was a lot of deadfall in there and it was, it was definitely a very choked area, but you know, me being from California and even the forests I'm used to are very, uh, let's just say deadfall, what I'm used to is not nearly <laughs> the same as deadfall up in the high country in Idaho. Um, right. Yeah. And then that coupled with uh, an initial plan uh, and an initial weather forecast for slightly more balmy conditions and then... Even when the weather forecast changed, it really didn't forecast uh, initially what had happened, and we kind of had that freak snowstorm blow in, so suddenly it turned into climbing over a deadfall in knee-deep snow, um, and once I got out there, I I kind of realized that, uh, well, I guess this is where I'm going to be hunting. My, I, I inadvertently had committed myself to to that location by by climbing up over all that deadfall and in through the hills and with that storm and everything. Yeah, the the area that you picked to go when you sent me the location, uh, my first reaction was, "Dang, he's in for he's in for it," you know. But you know, we'd been training for this and preparing and um, personal advice from a lot of hunters, and I thought, you know, he'll he'll be fine. He's He's in good shape. He's going to go hike up in there, and he's going to realize that that is some nasty, nasty country. Um, but maybe he'll get in there and find a nasty old bull. <laughs> and, you know, I had high hopes for you getting in there. Even if you didn't see anything, I, I honestly didn't expect the call that where you said you were hurt. Um, I thought you were just going to get in there and have an awesome time and really experience some really gnarly, intense backcountry. Well, and you know, going in, I, you know, once again, also, there was, uh, my hike in ended up being significantly longer <laughs> than, than I initially expected to, because I'd done as much research as possible. I had checked roads, everything, uh, what I, what I didn't realize and I, all my research didn't turn up was there was a gate about two miles close or, uh, further back than I thought there would be. And so, you know, my pack-in turned from two miles to four miles, which didn't help. My pack weight was pretty heavy. And, you know, I'll admit, going in there was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But that was, like we talked, you know, that was what my prep was for. Um, I knew it was going to suck going in. I knew it was going to be tough. 
so I, I powered through and I, you know, I did that four miles and it, it took me a significant portion of the day to get down there. That's for sure. Um, but you know, I made it through and I, I was definitely proud of myself and, and getting in there, I, uh, I definitely saw elk sign going in. Uh, the only problem was it was all looking about a week old. Uh, or more. You know, I saw plenty of rubs, but they were starting to crest over a little bit. I saw tons of tons of scat, and I saw plenty of wallows as I was going in that were all tore up. But just everything just had that air of kind of abandonment and and just like it wasn't wasn't recently used, which was unfortunate. So I I do feel you know. If I had, if the timing had been better, you know, and if the weather hadn't changed, there may have been, been a chance, like you said, of seeing a big nasty bull back there. Um, just from the signs I was seeing, it looked like there's plenty of activity, but unfortunately, a lot of it was pretty old. Yeah, and you know, from my experience up there, um, if you'd have been hunting up there around opening weekend, right around the first week of September, you know, they're still going to be bachelored up, but. Um, my experience has been that's when the most bulls are hanging out still up there. It's, it's more summer country. Um, but you never know in that kind of country where you're going to find a big old bull that's just hiding out. So I certainly wasn't going to try to stop you from going in there or, or, uh, discourage you. But one of the things before, you know, before we get too far into talking about the elk deal, you know, thinking about this podcast, the last couple of days, knowing that we were going to do it. Um, and we talked about this when we came out, there's going to be information in this podcast that is good for not only the experienced hunters, but there's going to be some really good information for those people that are out there who are in your boat, who've been wanting to do a backcountry hunt their whole life. And, you know, people like Cam Haynes and you and some of these other guys that are, uh, they train really hard to go do this. You've inspired a lot of people. So I think with that inspiration comes a little bit of responsibility to talk about the lessons learned. And one of the things that we we're just talking about where you were saying that things were a little bit different than what you had e-scouted, you know, when you've done your homework, that is a huge deal. Those of you who haven't ever hunted the backcountry. Google Earth is an amazing tool, but it does not do justice to the real thing. The real thing is so much more rugged and nasty than what you can really grasp from Google Earth. So when you're, you know, when you're e-scouting, you need to plan for more time, uh, more elevation, and worse terrain. No, absolutely. And it, you know, I looked at that, I looked at that hike, I, you know, thought about, okay, you know, this is the elevation that I'm going to have to deal with. Uh, okay, the weather's a little going to be a little bit worse than I'm used to, and all this. And I looked at that, and I, um, you know, this this hike ended up taking all day. And it, because it was, it was gnarly. It was just, that's the only way to describe it. Um, you know, the first two miles was had a trail, and then um, getting off that for the last, the last two miles going in, it was just I was bushwhacking, and at some times there would be some nice game trails I could go down or up. Um, but for the most part, it was it was tough. The snow made it tough to see which direction I should be going. You know, I'd I'd be walking, and then all of a sudden I'd be 
knee deep in sludge or a little creek that I didn't see or some grass. You know, you can look on Google Earth and you can see that, uh, you know, okay, that that's some pretty dark, thick timber. But, you know, you just you don't get that full effect, even even where it shows trails and creeks and things that you might expect to be a bit easier. And, you know, these aren't well kept, you know, roads and and stuff like that. Even even the horse trails half of the time, you know, you're lucky if you can find them and they're not completely blown over. Yeah. So I can tell you in that particular part of the forest for the last several years, due to budget concerns, the guys that maintain the trails in that country, there's two guys and they do it pretty much on foot. Um, that's their own choice because they're not real confident around horses. They're really good at what they do, but two guys on foot cover m- as much of that country as they can. And I can tell you the drainage that you went into is so bad that it's one of those trails that they've kind of written off because they have higher priority trails that they have to get maintained. So that brings up a great point. Just because Onyx Maps, as awesome of a tool as it is, shows a trail does not mean there's really a trail. Yeah, and so it it was definitely beyond what I had prepared for. <laughs> I don't want to say... I necessarily made bad choices going in there because I don't, I don't think I did. I definitely think I could have thought things out a little bit more and made some wiser choices, but I would, I wouldn't call any, anything I necessarily made a, a bad choice. I think a lot of it just came down to as I was going in, things started compounding. And by the time it got to a place where, okay, this is an issue, it was kind of, the point of no return. Right. You know, I I hit that I hit that gate and my pack in was a lot longer than expected. Okay. Well, you know, that's not the end of the world. Whatever, that's something I can power through. Okay, well, the hike in was significantly worse than expected. You know, you don't find that out until you're <laughs> already most of the way in it. Yeah. Um Okay, so a freak snowstorm blows in and suddenly dumps, you know, several feet of snow on you. Uh well, that unfortunately is not a choice I made. <laughs> and you're always telling yourself, it's going to blow over. Exactly. And to some extent, you know, as a guy, I'm going in there and I'm thinking to myself, like, ah, just sack up and, and, and work through it. You know, you'll, you'll be fine, you know, just quit whining. But one of the, one of the decisions I made early on uh you know, that I could prep for is I knew that I did not know what to expect. Um, I knew that, you know, things could, things could be good. Things could be horribly bad or they could be anywhere in the middle. And so I wanted to, I wanted to have a backup plan. I wanted to make sure that, that I at least had people who knew where I was, who could get to me if something happened, because, you know, I had, I took with me, I took my DeLorme inReach, uh, you know, owned by Garmin now. And, you know, that allows me to send out a tracking link, um, shows everyone where I am. It also allows me to contact people uh, back home. But I guess an important part of that that I, you know, want to distinguish as we're talking is that technology is great. All the technology in the world is great, but it would not have done me any good if I just had my mom on the other end of the line. 100%. 
who you tell is what's important. Yes, it's important to tell your loved ones where you're going, but you need to have somebody that's not going to be up in the hills hunting while you're hunting, somebody that you can get a hold of that knows exactly where you're going and knows and has the ability to get you out if there's a problem. A lot of people, even myself, I you know, I have a big thing about making sure that people know that I'm going out because years ago I didn't do that. Years ago I would just go out into the hills and I'd say, yeah, I'm headed up into the hills. And I wouldn't tell anybody really where and I just figured I'd be fine. And I never really had a bad accident, but a lot of people have. And then after I started guiding hunters years ago um, and I felt that responsibility of somebody else's life that was in my hands, I started taking a little bit more responsibility about, you know, my welfare in the mountains and other people. So I started being better about developing a backup plan. Now, I will tell you right now, that is something as a veteran avid hunter could really improve on. I don't do it as much as I should. I should have a better plan every time I go into the woods because where I'm at is actually more dangerous than the situation you were in in my opinion, because it's kind of like how they used to say, like in driver's ed, most accidents happen within five miles of your home. I think most accidents happen to people who feel overly confident. Uh, Without even trying to be egotistical, they go into a situation overly confident. And if, if that situation that happened to you with a blown out knee had happened to me on a lot of the places that I go, I'd have been screwed because I don't do a good enough job of having a backup plan. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7. With super fast shipping, MidwayUSA.com. Well, I guess, you know, that also brings up, I guess oh, we should kind of finish the story here uh, about what happened. You know, so I had, uh, I had this gnarly pack in and hardest thing I've ever done. I finally got to the spot where I wanted to camp, set up my camp, thought things were great. Next day I go out, I start, I start hiking, I start exploring, I cover about 10 miles that that following day through just nasty rain and snow and And how heavy was your pack uh well that first day uh on the the hike in i i'm almost embarrassed to admit but i think the i think it was around 85 pounds coming in then that was another thing coming in i was super rushed um i got sick so i didn't have as much time to plan beforehand i was running late and instead of just stepping back and taking some time to finish my planning i i rushed in i saw the weather was changing so i just threw some additional stuff in my pack i ended up accidentally leaving some stuff in that was supposed to stay in the car um so i did that four mile choked hike in with probably good 85 plus pounds on my back the next day, fortunately, I had almost everything unloaded. I was probably under 30 pounds. But covering, you know, that 10 miles, I was I was going up and down hills, finding glassing spots. I was I covered I covered quite a bit of ground that first day. Um 
and probably the last oh half a mile quarter mile my knee just my left knee just started screaming at me um I don't particularly remember, you know, I fell plenty of times going through that deadfall in that snow. I mean, face first, right in the snow, more times than I could count. But, you know, I can't say on the hike in or any time that day that there was a specific time when, you know, my knee just like slammed into something. Um, but all I know is that last half or quarter mile on my way back to the tent, that, that second day in, my left knee just was excruciating, almost couldn't, you know, it was, I just could barely, barely walk. And I thought, okay, just a little bit of overuse, not that big of a deal. I'll, you know, take some ibuprofen, I'll give it some rest and I'll see how it is tomorrow. So, you know, the next day I get up and there's one more area I wanted to check out and see, you know, I wasn't really seeing any, any recent elk sign. I wasn't hearing any bugles, nothing like that. And so, I uh I hike up to that location. My knees my knees a little sore, but it's it's doing well and I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, it was just kind of a fluke yesterday. It's still a little bit of sore from yesterday, but it's not not screaming at me like before. Well, the left knee just completely gave out. Uh I it kind of just collapsed underneath me. I had to get back to the tent, so on my way back, you know, I'm I'm treating it pretty gingerly, but I'm still climbing through with some some thick stuff on the way back and uh, I think just because of how much I was favoring that that left knee, I ended up blowing out my right knee as well. So on the way down the hill, I've got two knees just screaming at me. Uh, they're giving out every, you know, every 10 steps as I'm going through the brush and uh, finally make it back to my tent, at which point I'm thinking to myself, well, crap. <laughs> um, so, so I kind of sent an SOS out to the team saying like, hey, so I've uh, completely blown out my knees. Um, you know, I got, uh, fortunately, some some good tips for wrapping my knees with Luco tape. Um, I sat, I rested, I iced down my knees, I took ibuprofen to work on the swelling, and just kind of rested for that night. And the next morning, tried walking around a little bit, and it was just not going to happen. And I thought, okay, you know, you had you had offered uh, again. Uh, via via message, you had offered to come in and pack me out with the horses. Well, you'd sent me that message about the knee, and as soon as you told me that you blew a knee out, I knew things weren't good because to get back, you had to go uphill, but you had to go uphill through one of the worst downfall patches in eastern Idaho for <laughs> a pretty considerable distance before you got to the top. And then from the top, you had to drop thousands of feet back down to your jeep so i knew things were pretty bad and that's when i said hey you want me to come get you with the horses and your response <laughs> no bs was well as much as i'd like to meet you i don't really want to meet you in an emergency situation <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> i'm just gonna let him okay hopefully he got it figured out then well you know and i i just didn't think it was that bad and i thought to myself well i guess I guess I should start packing up my stuff and see if I could get out. And I, you know, I packed up most of my camp and I just threw on the pack to test it and walked maybe 50 yards and realized that's not going to happen. Um, I sat and I had to definitely swallow some, some guy pride. <laughs> um, but you know, I had also had some encouragement from 
other friends in the group who basically it uh I believe the phrase was a a bruised ego heals quicker than a busted knee. Um and that was the kind way to put it. I believe I believe the the way I it was told to have been said to me uh was tell that a-hole to call Clayton before he hurts himself more and get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so that, that was translated into a, a bruised ego, uh, is a, heals a lot quicker than a, than a busted knee. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I had, I was already a little bit prepared to call you. If I added you to that group message, you know, I had a group message going on Facebook with everyone so y'all could talk and work things out. Um, because with the Delorum, you know, I can send group texts, but you guys, it's not like a group chat. You guys can't really respond with everyone knowing what's going on. Right. So I created that, uh, you know, that group Facebook message. So if something did happen, there could be a little bit more planning than everyone working as individuals. Too. Right. And that, that was before you went in because there's no cell signal whatsoever in that yes. hole you were in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that also, uh, served to, served to keep my poor mother from, uh, having a heart attack. Uh, um, <laughs> cause y'all, I think y'all are getting, uh, Christmas gifts this year from my mom. Um, y'all are, <laughs> especially you are her new favorite people, you know, cause admittedly too, that, that Delorme, you know, it's a cloud, you know, it, especially with super cloudy cover, that thing doesn't always immediately go through. Sometimes it'll take you know, at times it would go through quick and I'd, I'd respond almost immediately. Other times it could take half an hour to an hour for a message to come, you know, to, to sync up and, and go through. So it was just, it was good, I think, for her to uh, to have that. And, you know, it's always nice for your loved ones to have some reassurance that you're not going to die in the backwoods. No, 100%. And I was going to talk about this later, but this is as good a time as any. Of all of the gear that you took into the backcountry on your first backcountry hunt, um, I would say quite confidently that in-reach device was by far the most valuable. I mean, if you hadn't had it, think what would have happened. Oh, I would have. I mean, honestly, if I had not had that, I would still probably be packing my way out. I mean, I was, I, I thought, I've thought long and hard about that. You know, it, it's not real easy country. In fact, you know, even on the trail, when we finally got out to the main trail, and I told you this as we were going out, I know it feels like we're going down the creek and we're just going to come out on a main road, but we have to climb a long ways out of this hole just to get to a road. And then we're an hour from the truck, and then we're an hour from town. Mm-hmm. You know, just that, that hike out, I think that ended up being a mile and a half to two miles I mean, that took me with how my knees were and with how that pack was. I mean, that took me pretty much half the day. Yeah, that's assuming that's assuming that your knees didn't get worse and assuming that you didn't run out of food or have any sort of hypothermia issues. Because, you know, one thing we haven't really mentioned too much is that the whole time you're going through all of this, it's snowing on you. And I'm not talking like a fluffy, white, powdery snow. This is wet nasty make everything slick and nasty muddy you know in the bogs fact is it would cover the creeks so you didn't even know they were there mm-hmm. it was nasty weather the morning i started riding which is not real long after daylight it was a whiteout 
I knew where I was going, so I was pretty confident, but I didn't have more than about 100 yards visibility at a max the whole way in. And, you know, it was the same way all the way out. So the oh, whole yeah. day, till we got, you know, back to town, we couldn't see any mountains or anything. Oh, yeah. It looked like the, I think I made a comment even, it looked like the the world just ended about 100 yards uh, right past the trail. Right. It was it was crazy. You know, I think everyone everyone that's listening at this point has probably seen the picture of uh, that you took of me with the the snow in my beard completely frozen over. Yeah. But I mean, that wasn't you know that was not a a staged like funny shot or anything. That was literally just from the snow. I rode up alongside <laughs> of him and I I had my camera out and he wasn't even looking at me. I said, "Hey, Sam." And he looked over at me. I snapped the picture because I wanted a candid shot of his snow beard and his misery. <laughs> but he was still about half smiling. Oh my gosh. I think I'm not sure. I'm still not convinced that was a smile. I think that was more of a grimace. Any any smile though was just the sheer fact of knowing that I was not going to die under a pile of under a snowdrift or something. Yeah, you were a long ways back in there, you know, and and the people that you had talked to um, that you'd ran into, they're outfitters, the only outfitters in that area. And it was bad enough that they pulled out. Uh, They pulled their camp out. They pulled everything out. And I believe when you told them that you had a friend coming up there horseback, they kind of gave you a weird look. Oh, yeah. They, (laughs) you know, they they probably were I they were probably shocked to see me because because I can only imagine, you know, Dude covered head to toe in snow. You know, I had my I had my rain gear on, but covered head to toe in snow with an obviously enormous pack on and an obvious limp. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm just struggling through, and so they stopped and they kind of came out to me and we talked for a minute, and you know they had they had full loads on their pack on their uh, on their horses already. Um, I think they were kind of they were kind of looking back and forth at each other, like okay do we give this poor guy a ride or, you know, do we at least take us back for him or what? But they already had, you know, they'd been packing out all their different satellite camps. And so their pack horses and their saddles were just completely loaded up already. But, you know, they pointed out they were really nice guys. They showed me exactly where the horse trail was. Cause at the time I, I didn't know about it for some reason it wasn't showing up on my GPS. So I just kind of been falling the cricks down. Um, it was really stand up with them to to point that out and to, it was just nice to see another human being for the first time in a few days and it kind of gives you a little bit of reassurance that that life still exists outside of this weird backcountry bubble that you're in yeah that was like day 4 of you back in there right yeah that would have been day 4 that would have been day 4 cuz i think you came in, came in on day 5 seems like a lot longer <laughs> Well, and that's when you're not getting into elk or game, uh, you know, to have an, an active quarry to chase, time goes really, really slow. And as I was riding in there that fifth morning to come get you out, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder what he's doing right now. Yeah, so I was, uh, I, you know, I, I, the whole time I'd been worried about, uh, about power because my, unfortunately, my dark energy charger had kind of... Uh, crapped out on me. Finally, when it got to the point where I knew you were on your way in, you know, I wasn't going to need to message you or anything. Um, I was just like, all right, I'm going to go crazy. So I, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I opened up Candy Crush on my phone. <laughs> um, 
Nice. And I'm like, I just need something to distract me for like the next hour. Uh, I had opened it up. I had played one game. And all of a sudden I heard, the cavalry has arrived. <laughs> and I could not open the zipper on that dang tent fast enough. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if I told you that I was recording. But as I rode up, I had the camera on. So I've got all of that uh, initial meetup on camera because I had my GoPro rolling and it's pretty funny. I was watching it, uh, before I came up here to Missoula the other day and it, uh, you know, you're, I am so glad to see you. (laughs) I couldn't even, I was just so excited to see you. Like I, I remember I couldn't even explain it. I could not even form the words correctly (laughs) to describe it. (laughs) It was just one of those things to where the relief was, was fantastic and it was it was there was also it was very bittersweet too though you know it was that was the moment when i really kind of also realized like you know i'm this is the end i'm hurt like it's not like we're going out and we're going to a new spot i'm like this is you know this is the end of my season uh you know this is the end of my elk season um and so it was there was definitely on the ride out uh a few moments where I I'd, I'd kind of catch myself uh, getting a little bit melancholy about that. It's like anything, you know, and it's not about getting the animal, and that's not at all what it was for me. I wanted to have, I definitely wanted to have an adventure, and and I I did have an adventure, but you know, I was looking forward to that kind of hunt experience, that elk calling and and hearing them bugle at night, and and that whole experience, yeah. and and I'll admit, you know, it was. It was definitely a bummer not not being able to get that. Um, but uh, I, I definitely think my uh, my sheer joy of not having to not having to spend the next three days packing out an eighty five pound pack by myself uh, outweighed whatever whatever melancholy moments I may have had. Right. I mean, and, you know, thinking about their pack out too. To, to go out the way you came in would have been dang near impossible given your knees, even without a pack on. Um, so to go out the way we did would have made the most sense, but your Jeep is on the complete opposite side of the mountain range. So that was the other part of this rescue thing. And I want to make sure to give credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went in and got you, but, um, the amount of time it would have taken to drive you all the way around the mountains to get your Jeep would have meant a really long trailer ride for my horses and not getting back till the following day to my home. So I had called Jeremiah Ballier, who's a wildland firefighter uh, out of Lettore, Idaho, that I, I used to work with and a good buddy of mine. And uh, he, I need to give some credit to him because he, as soon as I said, hey, I need your help to get this guy back over to his Jeep, um, he just texted back and said, whatever you need, you just let me know. And I mean, this was not a, this was not like a quick, like hour and a half jaunt around the mountain or anything. This was, uh, I mean, I, this was probably a good four plus hour trip by the time, you know, he, we got back to the main road after picking up my Jeep. Yeah. I, you know, I also can't thank him enough for being willing to take me out there and, his, you know, his poor truck was. <laughs> by the time we, by the time we got back, was covered, uh, 
tires to top in in mud and and sleet and frozen over grime. So yeah, he is definitely also a hero of this story for for getting me back to my Jeep. <laughs> but you know that that ride out was definitely that was the other thing too. That ride out was probably one of the most beautiful horseback rides I've ever been on in my life. Awesome. You know, if everything's going to go to, you know, pardon my French, but if everything's going to go to and your elk season's going to end the way the way mine ended, at least there's that little bit of joy is <laughs> um getting to ride through that country was probably one of the most just beautiful, amazing sights I have ever seen. If if only you could have seen it when you could actually see some distance. Uh, boy, then, so maybe we'll have to go back in the summer sometime where you can actually see the mountains because you're right. It was gorgeous, but it didn't, it wasn't anything compared to what it, it looks like when there's not snow falling everywhere. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Regarding your hunt, early on you said, you talked about maybe some bad decisions or, or you didn't feel comfortable saying that you made bad decisions. And I'll tell you right now, you didn't make any bad decisions. Um, so pre-trip before you even came out here, what were some things that were real successes and what were some things that you could have done better? Oh, geez. Um, I would see, I'm supposed to put other people on the spot like this. Uh, (laughs) you're not supposed to put me, um, I rushed things. Uh, I was so excited to get out to this hunt and I was putting, I put so much pressure on it because this is my first hunt, because I've, I've made so much of what I'm doing public. I put a lot of pressure on myself for this and I think I rushed things because I got sick several days before I was supposed to leave. I got a really bad head cold. I was miserable and rather, and I, you know, I had to take some time to heal and, and get better, but that also removed a lot of time that I was going to spend adjusting my pack weight and, and figuring out different things. And, you know, however much prep this last year I've done within that last week, I rushed it. And that's definitely something I shouldn't have done. Uh, going into it, something that really worked out, um, I mean, there was just a lot of planning I did that that did work out. You know, you did I, your homework. I will give you that, and that was what I was going to tell you from from the outside looking in as a success that you did something that you did right. Um, homework. You did a lot of preparation, whether your own e scouting and lots of different research that way, but you were also listening to different podcasts, some really experienced backcountry hunters, um, getting advice from just other hunters that. You, you know, not necessarily like me, but some of your associate friends that are also into backcountry hunting and get some personal experience from them. You did a good job at that. That I don't know anybody that does that much homework going into their first hunt. So that I commend you for that. That was good. Yeah, I think you know, I I've gone through every possible resource I could. So 
Um, before we go on, as far as before the trip, physical conditioning, what what worked out good for you and what didn't make that much of a difference? You know, the hiking with a pack. It's just there, there's nothing that can replace that. You can do all the squats and deadlifts and running in the world, but nothing is going to replace hiking with a pack. Um, the other stuff is important. I, you know, I'm not saying don't do the other stuff, but the, the hikes I did, I wish I had done longer. Um, I think that may have also either revealed sooner or helped me mitigate the, the issue I had with my knees. I think probably would have revealed it sooner, but yeah, rather than just doing, you know, these mile and a half, two mile hikes, if I had taken it up to four or five miles, uh, I think that would have been super beneficial. Um, you know, there's, I wish there was something I could have done about elevation. That was brutal with the physical conditioning. Um, there's just, well, cause you, you live at sea level. Oh yeah. I'm, and you were hunting at 9,000 feet. Yeah. I'm lucky on my hikes. Like when I get some serious elevation, I get up to, you know, almost a thousand feet maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I live at sea level. Um, and, you know, everyone says it, everyone warned me, and I knew to expect it, but there's just nothing you can do about it, is that elevation is absolutely brutal. Like, there would be times when I just felt like I was completely suffocating, and I had to tell myself, like, you're not dying, you're not suffocating, don't panic. Like, I almost kind of wanted to freak out a little bit. It was it was that bad. Um, but... You know, you need to get you need to get that conditioning up. Yeah, you're not gonna be doing a ton of deadlifts in the backcountry, you know, except for flipping your pack up. But, you know, doing that in a controlled situation makes it a lot easier to do it with your pack when you do need to get it up on a stump to help you put it on when it weighs when it's super loaded up. Um so I mean that stuff definitely helped, but Hiking with a pack was definitely the number one thing that uh, that helped me with what I needed to do, and I I would definitely do that more. So when you were hiking with a pack, were you hiking? Uh, were you hiking with the same weight that you hunted with, and were you hiking in the same clothing, boots, and all that you hunted? Um, I would be about fifty fifty in the same boots. My my big hikes I do in my heavy boots. My my morning hikes I do in the lighter boots, uh, but yeah, that is that is a good point and something I would hike with the same weight. Um, I didn't do too many with that full weight. I was kind of working up to it, but uh, I did hike with a weighted pack in boots, um, and definitely when I do the longer hikes, I wore the heavier boots. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely a because that'll change even just the the style of your boots you know you wear a boot with less flex to it and more weight that's gonna that's gonna change absolutely everything right speaking of boots you loved yours right oh yeah oh yeah i cannot say enough about my my crispy hunters um they were just rock solid i mean i i had my ankles supported there's about a million times where I would have, I stepped on, uh, you know, I stepped through something going over that deadfall. I got my foot caught between two logs and I started to fall or twist or trip. There's about a million times where if I wasn't wearing those boots, my ankle would have just snapped without a doubt. Um, there's a million times I kicked something or 
would have gashed open my shins, would have broken an ankle, smashed a toe. Um, but those boots were just bulletproof the entire time. I can't say enough about them. Um, by the time we got back, I got back to the truck, everything on my body hurt except for my feet. It was the weirdest, you know, I mean, absolutely everything, my arms, my shoulders, my back, my head, my legs, but my feet felt absolutely fantastic. I can't say enough about those Crispy Hunter GTX boots. And you you did a lot of hiking, and for to do that much hiking and that much, you know, terrain, especially those angles, with that much weight and not have blisters, says quite a bit about your boots and your breaking and... um you know, I don't have crispy boots, but after seeing and hearing your response to those boots, having used them on your hunt, um, I definitely am a lot more interested in them. Yeah, it's uh, anybody. I've I've done a podcast with Crispy before, and you know, if if anyone wants to know, I'm not sponsored by Crispy. Um, you know, I have a good relationship with him. I've talked to him out at events, but. I'm just a huge fan of the boots. Uh, they are quality. Um, they're definitely pricey, but you know they're a they're a ten twenty year boot, and then you know you send them back, they repair them, and they're good for another ten years. That's good. What about um, in just kind of general gear? What about like your uh, your electronics and your charging devices? So yeah, the the Goal Zero. Uh, Solar charger was fantastic. Unfortunately, I didn't get to use that too much. You know, I I brought in two dark energy chargers with me, and the first one was bulletproof. It it worked great. I can't say enough about it. But then the second one, uh, in those freezing temps, I pulled it out of the pack, and I had charged all of them uh, fully beforehand, but I pulled that one out of the pack. It hadn't been touched since uh, I charged it. And it was drained, showed it was drained by halfway. I uh, went to charge my phone for about five minutes and it showed that the pack was drained fully. Um, it was just definitely, you know, they're supposed to be rated for the cold, but it definitely, I don't know if one was just malfunctioning or if they're just not not fully adept for, for quite as cold as it was. Um, but I, you know, I, I have a feeling it may just be this specific one was malfunctioning. You know, I'm talking with Dark Energy's customer support about it right now, and and we'll see. But that was one thing, you know, that if I hadn't needed to pull out early, that could have become a lot bigger of an issue. Uh, you know, when you go in expecting to be able to rely on those electronics, you know, using I was using that to charge my Delorme inReach, you know, my GPS, my um, my phone, which I had Onyx Maps on and was also using in concert, uh, makes texting on the Delorme in reach a lot easier. Um, one thing I will say that Delorme, if you do the settings right, you know, you keep the screen, you know, if you're not on it constantly, you keep the screen kind of dim and, you know, you loosen up the tracking points a little bit. The The battery life on that thing, I probably could have... I probably actually didn't need to charge it whatsoever. You know, that was my most important piece, so I always kept it charged. But that thing used so little battery power, I was blown away. I think that's probably the best, most important piece of equipment that you had on this hunt. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I'd never heard of, you know, 
I've used a spot device before, but I didn't I didn't realize that Garmin had a device like that. So it was pretty cool to see you using it and then also experiencing the communication that we did um, through that thing. Uh, I was surprised how quick the responses were. There's a little bit of lag uh, a couple times, but for the most part, it was almost like texting on a phone with how fast that thing would get to the satellite and then back down. Yeah, that's without a doubt. I mean, if we had to pick a, a champion piece of gear for this trip, it was it was that Delorme inReach. Um, you know, they're they're building them into some of the GPSs, and so they're a little bit more unified, and it's you know one less piece of gear you have to carry. But uh, I like having it. I liked having it separate. You know, I that way I could use my GPS and not worry about draining it. It was just it was nice having it as a separate piece of equipment for sure. Awesome. Um, so based on this whole experience. If there's somebody out there that's in your shoes that like in the next couple of years wants to go on their first backcountry hunt and they want to do it solo and, and on their own, is there any important advice you'd want to give them? I mean, there's a lot of things you could tell them, but if there's just a couple things, what would those be? First and foremost is have a backup plan and then have a backup plan for your backup plan. Um, <laughs> however passionate we are about hunting, however much we love the backcountry, all of that, you know, none of it is worth your life. You know, that's that's what's most important, first and foremost, is getting back to your loved ones, um, you know, safe and whole. And planning for that, first and foremost, is, you know, don't, don't go in being afraid, but... Plan for the worst, plan for the best, and plan for everything in between. And I, I like to think I did that, you know. Yeah. Not specifically for what exactly happened, but I had an option for for something in between. And and I think, uh, and just in general, I'd say give yourself options. Don't ever lock yourself in. And and you know that's. That's something that applies from the when you're doing your planning all the way through your trip. Always have options. Don't uh, you know? Don't commit so wholly to any one spot or any one elevation or time or whatever it may be that you just can't flip the script. And because how how much things could have changed if I had if I had left an option to get my, if once I got in there before I even set up my tent, you know, I've been like, no, what? Nope. This place is awful. There's no chance there's elk here. I'm going down to a lower elevation or whatever it was. And, you know, I could have given myself better options by carrying a lighter pack by whatever it is. And then that I would also say is the third thing, the discomfort you will feel by not bringing something is a lot less than the discomfort you will feel by having to pack it in. <laughs> uh, um, I would have rather gone without a lot of those creature comforts than having to have packed them in. And also, I wouldn't necessarily have had to rely on a lot of those creature comforts if I hadn't packed them in, because I would have been able to get my butt out a lot easier. <laughs> um, right. So those those would be my three biggest learnings that I think I'd share is, you know, Always have the backup plan. Don't 
lock yourself in, you know, give yourself options and you don't need as much crap as you think you do. Even if you do end up using it, you could, you'll survive without it. Right. For me, like what I have quite a bit of stuff in my pack, like we, what we talked about and I, that comes from Gaiden. I used to have to carry enough that I could care for other people, not just myself. And, and you get in that habit. But one of the things that all those years of Gaiden really did for me is it helped me figure out what worked. I could eliminate a whole bunch of things if I just have one thing that worked. And it might not even be camouflage. It might not even be a sportsman-related product, but it works. And uh, um, that information can only really be gleaned by getting out in the woods and trying it all out. Yep. And that's, you know, that's what I've, I've realized. And I, the next hunt I go on... I mean, we'll be, regardless of what nature throws at me and what situation throws at me, we'll be hand over fist better. It just, it just in the way of my preparation and everything. And nothing can substitute for time in the field. And, you know, if I have to pull one positive thing out of this whole experience, you know, there's, there's definitely a few that I can pull. But if I can really pare it down to one of the most positive things about this whole experience is that I got so probably so many hunts worth of learning from one single trip out that it's crazy. Yeah. I, the, some of the crap I, I went through, it taught me more, more stuff, you know, that I could have probably, probably would have had to learn over the course of countless hunts. Otherwise, uh, you know, it was all packed into one trip. And I think, you know, and that's not saying, obviously, that I don't have tons more to learn, but I think I definitely, um, this will make me a stronger and wiser hunter for the future. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, from from the outside looking in, Sam, just listening to the words that you've said, not only tonight, but in all that time that we spent getting you out of the backcountry, it seemed pretty obvious to me that this hunt was probably going to be in the future one of your favorite hunts just looking back and we talked about that a little bit but i think you learn a lot about yourself and what your limits are and what your capabilities are when you go into some backcountry by yourself and then you get put into some really rough situations just by mother nature um you know we came out when we came out um we were talking about that and about the backcountry and how no amount of e-scouting can prepare you for what the reality is when things go south because mother you know that the uh the backcountry is beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's just it's awe-inspiring but at the same time if you don't respect it for what it is she can be a mean bitch (laughs) (laughs) and um being able to prepare for that is, is a big thing. And I think you learned a lot about yourself on this hunt. And I think a lot of people, both experienced hunters and all of your followers that you've inspired that want to do the same thing are going to get an invaluable amount of information from what you've gone through. And that is due to your honesty and your humility and not being too proud to admit where you've screwed up. Um, things you could have done better and just your willingness to tell the story for what it was, not for what you wanted people to think what it was. So I commend you for that. You did a great job. 
Thank you very much. Um, so as we're uh, as we're kind of winding down here, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it now on you and and say um, from your perspective now, if you had any advice for someone um, wanting to go into the backcountry on their first hunt, whether it's a solo hunt or not, um, you know, somebody wanting to wanting to get into backcountry hunting, what what would be the best piece of advice you could give that person? Um, well, to be completely honest, it, it does, it does depend on, on the person. Um, in fact, like on my website, I have an article, I was starting to write a five part series and then I had a lightning strike that, um, fried my computer and I lost some articles that I had written, but I had the two first ones written and they're posted on my website. And the, it's about planning your first backcountry hunt. And I went at that recommending that the first time you go into the backcountry, if you've never done it before, that you go with an outfitter, um, just because they take care of that, a lot of that logistics. Um, they are your backup plan. Uh, they've got the food. And you can just concentrate on learning the hunt itself, um, learning the game and it just takes some of the pressure off. Now, if you're hardcore and you're fit and you just are one of those people that really just like to do it yourself, um, I wholeheartedly recommend that. From my experience, both on my own and guiding for a long time, one of the things that I would say, and this is not being critical of you, but for your first one, maybe I think, you know, when we listen to all these podcasts and read all these articles, you hear all these guys talking about, well, you know, you got to be willing to hike in a couple miles past all the other people. And so it, it seems like there's becoming a little bit more of a focus for these new hunters. They hear that and they're more focused on getting away from people than they are getting to where actual elk live. And if there's, if there's a known area where the elk love to hang out, there's going to be people and you're just going to have to deal with that. But my advice would be if you're new to backcountry hunting and you want to you wanna do it, do your homework just like Sam did. And I mean do a thorough job. Get some gear, do, listen to podcasts, whatever, to figure out the best gear to get and then buy it and then try it out. And then as you're planning where you're going to go, don't necessarily pick the nastiest, gnarliest piece of country. Um Find some country that looks really good, looks really elky, looks like something that you can physically attain. And if something happens, you can get out of. And if you don't know, let's say, let's say you're a hunter from California, like Sam, and you're hunting in a different state where you don't really have somebody right there, you don't have firsthand knowledge of the ground, I recommend getting to know somebody. And in this day and age on social media, you can find somebody anywhere. Get to know somebody from that area that you can have as a backup plan. Uh, in my case, I reached out to Sam because he was going into some of my favorite country in the world. And I, like I said earlier, I have a soft spot for people that um, are like Sam and they have that appreciation for the country, even though that's not where they're from. So I reached out to him because I wanted to make myself available if something happened. But if you don't have that situation, you need to be finding somebody that lives in that area that can help you out. Maybe not necessarily with the hunt, but can get you out in a jam. Um, 
you know, there's really not much advice I can, more advice I can give that it would be better than just, if you're inspired to do it, go do it. If you keep saying someday, someday's never going to happen. If, if it's a dream, then make a plan. If it's, I've said this a lot to, to young people. I, I used to be a drill instructor for an at-risk youth program. So I worked with teenagers a lot that were in trouble. And I used to tell them, you know, a goal that's not written down is just a wish. And wishes only come true for people that take that wish and they make it into a goal and they write it down. And then they make a plan to make it happen. So if your dream is to go on a backcountry hunt, make a plan and do it. Don't say someday, just make a plan and do it. You know, and I'll, I'll say one thing, um, to the whole regard of, of getting back further in, if I, if I had to choose two hunts, um, I mean, however much I did learn from this hunt and however much of an adventure and a story it is, if I had to pick from two hunts, uh, you know, the one I did not seeing any elk, not hearing any bugles, and and struggling the whole time or being in country that's a little overcrowded by hunters but hearing elk possibly seeing them maybe they're getting blown out whatever it is i'll i'll take the excitement any day over uh over getting you know getting stuck in a spot um Mm. you know that was just that was kind of one thing i realized and like i said i think this experience that i've had is invaluable um, but does still doesn't mean I wouldn't, wouldn't have rather seen, uh, seen a bunch of elk. So kind of something for people to chew on, uh, when they're, when they're thinking about where they're going in and, and how far they want to push in. Sam, I will tell you something though, from not, uh, this isn't just me. I can, I'm sure that I can speak for lots of veteran hunters that are listening to this podcast. Um, when, when you do go out the next time and you get into elk and you stick one, everybody that follows you is going to know that you earned that. And it's going to mean so much more to you than somebody who goes into one of those areas, like I talked about, where there's elk but there's people, and just gets lucky. Um, it'll happen for you. And when it does, everybody's going to respect how you did it because you, you definitely earned your stripes. And so don't, don't get down <laughs> on it. Don't get discouraged because you didn't get into elk. No, I definitely, it's, I have my moments, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to next season and, uh, hopefully with someone else with me at elk camp and, uh, laughing about how crazy this year was and listening to, uh, listening to bugles that we'll be chasing that next morning. Um, so maybe next year, let's plan on hunting together instead of me coming to rescue you. <laughs> I like the sound of that. I definitely like the sound <laughs> of that. Um, all right. So if folks wanted to find you online, Clayton, find follow along with all the Adventure Cowboy stuff, uh, where can they check you out? Um, on the normal social media, um, at the Adventure Cowboy on Instagram, the Adventure Cowboy on Facebook, um, also on YouTube, the adventure cowboy, and I have a website as well called adventurecowboy.com. And on there, there's a collection of my videos, a couple of my articles and that one, the website's kind of a work in progress, but there, I mean, there's a site there and it's got some content if you're interested. Uh, but most of what I've been doing 
over the last couple of years has been involved in social media because it's a way for me to let my creative juices flow and be able to tell a story and make somebody smile and hopefully inspire them. That's awesome. Well, I will make sure to have links to those all on the show notes page, which will be livingcountryinthecity.com slash 38 for episode 38. Um, so any, uh, any final parting thoughts? You know, I was so glad that you called me to come get you, and it was an enjoyable trip for me. At riding in in the whiteout snow and in the country that it, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, when people are listening to this, when I say a country that I love, uh, I can't even explain how much I love the mountain country. And, and that that drainage in particular um, has a lot of special memories for me. I, I was going through a hard time in my life when – my job was to explore all that country. I was um, going through a divorce. And that summer when I was in that particular drainage um, was a rough summer for me personally. And I was kind of at a moment in my life where I was trying to figure myself back out. I kind of lost myself for several years and lost what was important to me and what my goals were and what it was that made me happy. And the, the defining moments when I kind of started figuring stuff out and moving forward with my life centered around my time in that mountain range, um, all by myself alone with my horses as exploring the high country. And, um, for me to go back in there to get you and revisit that country now at a better place where I'm remarried and incredibly happy, probably the happiest I've ever been in my life. Um, it was getting you out was a big deal, but there was a big personal boost for me to get back in there. So I'm glad you called in from a selfish standpoint that that's why. Well, I'm glad that makes me feel a lot better about calling. Cause you know, I never, I think I told you the moment you came out, I, I have a lot of trouble asking for help. Um, just cause I hate putting people out more than anything. Um, so I'm glad it uh, it was an enjoyable trip for you, and you know you got to see the country. And I definitely have to say it was, you know, the fog and snow kind of, you know, we didn't get to see as much of it, but it kind of gives it like that eerie, just quiet. You know, it silences everything, and and it's just absolutely gorgeous out there. And I, uh, you know, can't say thank you enough for for coming in to get me, but. Oh, no problem. And I'll have the, the video that I got of, of that day when I came in and got you. I, I don't have a ton of it, but I'll get it all edited here in about the next week and put on the Adventure Cowboy YouTube channel so people can see it. Sounds good. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the line with me today. It was good having you on. Uh, anytime. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 38 of Living Country in the City. Go check out Clayton's videos and social pages. You can find links to all those on our show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 38. Thank you all for following along and for all y'all's words of encouragement leading up to and really after this trip. I really appreciate y'all. And until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com.
so I'll uh, I'll kind of figure out exactly what I'm going to record for the intro. <clears throat> but you know, I'll kind of I'll thank you. Jeez, and I almost sent water flying across my <laughs> living room. This episode brought to you by the Adventure Cowboy. Because without it, I would probably be dead. <laughs> Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. For Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.